So if you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 9, and we'll be looking at verses 35 through 38. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. And the title of this message is, The Harvest is Plentiful, But the Laborers Are Few. The Harvest is Plentiful but the laborers are few. As we dive into these verses, we'll be taking a look at a crucial moment in Jesus's ministry. Imagine Jesus right there in the midst of healing and teaching and showing everyone what the kingdom of God looked like in real time. And then in the middle of all of this action, Jesus pauses. He stops. He looks out at the crowd and he sees something more than their physical needs. He sees their hearts, their longing for direction and for hope, just like lost sheep without a shepherd to guide them. That's right. It hits Jesus hard, right in his heart. And it stirs up this deep compassion within him leading to a powerful moment with his disciples. You know, I I think a lot of us can relate with this feeling, seeing the needs all around us that pull at our hearts and wishing that we could just do more, but not always sure how or where to start. What Jesus says next isn't just for those who were physically following him in that time. It's a call that echoes throughout the chambers of history down to us today, reminding us of the huge need for willing workers to go out into this great big field of souls that are waiting to be reached for Jesus Christ. So let's take heart. Just as Jesus saw the crowd and felt moved to act, he's inviting us to open our eyes to the world around us to see the needs, to feel the compassion, and to step up in whatever way we can. Again, it's not just about the disciples then. It's about us here and now in 2024, answering the call to be a part of something bigger, to be part of God's work in bringing souls into the kingdom. Let's read our text, Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Father, for how you reveal things to simple men and women, Lord. Thank you for the truth of your word, Lord God. We are praying today, I am praying today that you would raise up laborers in this room that are ready and willing to go out and reap this harvest. Lord Jesus, I pray 
that this message, that this word would seep deep down into our hearts this morning. Use me as you see fit, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever been lost? I mean, like, really lost. I'm not talking about spiritually lost. I mean, like, lost in the woods, lost. Yeah, you probably have. Went on a nature hike, and you just got off the track and and lost sight of the path. And suddenly, you have no idea where you're going anymore. And I've heard that that's extremely dangerous and potentially deadly in a place like Africa, especially at nighttime, with all kinds of animals out there in the dark. Uh, or, or maybe you went on a road trip and it was during a time where we didn't have these smartphones and you got lost. Or you went on a road trip and your GPS just wasn't working and you found yourself someplace that you did not expect to be. There are many parallels or similarities between someone who is physically lost and someone who is spiritually lost. When lost in the woods, for example, I'm certain that there's a certain amount of fear. It has the potential to creep in if you're lost in the middle of nowhere and you don't know where you're going. Fear is knocking at your door. Fear of what or who may be creeping in the woods. Fear that if you don't make it back on the path, you may never make it back home. And for me, fear that I might never eat a good meal again. Maybe even you've experienced some shame and embarrassment because you got lost, depending on your level of experience or lack thereof. I can hear a man in the car right now going, this never happens to me. I've done this a thousand times. And I can hear his wife in his ear going, I told you to talk to the man in the red hat an hour ago. And here we are. There's a saying that goes, sin will take you further than you want it to go and keep you longer than you want it to stay. As we zoom in to our text this morning, we will see Jesus being moved deeply within as he looks upon people who are bound up in sin. Unlike the scribes and the Pharisees, and many times you and I, Jesus' reaction was not one of judgment, condemnation, or rejection. But instead, the text says he looked upon them with compassion. Jesus had eyes to see people who are often unseen, and so should we. Jesus sees the damage that sin causes in our lives. And not only does he look upon lost people with compassion, but he encourages us as his disciples both then and now, to join him in the labor of gathering to himself those whom he called before time began to be a part of his glorious kingdom. Lastly, Jesus highlights for us the necessity of prayer in the life of a disciple who seeks to please his master. So point number one, Jesus sees the unseen, and so should you. Jesus sees the unseen, and so should you. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I'm going to show you a little bit of my culture right now. Have you ever heard the term, you feel me? 
Or have you ever heard the term, do you feel where I'm coming from? This is essentially what Jesus is saying right here. He says, he, he didn't just look at that person and just see a terrible situation and, and go on about his business. He was able to enter into their situation. He had a deep understanding of their true needs. Think about this for a moment. Verse 35 says that Jesus had been going throughout the region, teaching in the synagogue and healing every disease and every affliction. As I, as I thought about that, this is what came to mind. This should show me that though physical troubles and, and needs are important, the most important thing is our souls. The condition of your soul is much more important than what's going on in your finances. The condition of a soul is much more important on whether even you eat today because a soul is eternal. And that's what, that's what Jesus is showing us here. Wouldn't it be a shame for someone to experience a miraculous physical healing only to spend eternity in hell? The people we see all around us may have great physical needs. And we see Jesus meet many of those needs throughout his earthly ministry. However, if we are to be a people who see the unseen as Jesus did, we must be able to see that everyone's greatest need is to know Jesus. To know Jesus is to know peace. Know Jesus, know peace. When you see a homeless person asking for change, I believe if you have it to give, you should. But if all you ever do is give that homeless person some change, but never see them as someone made in the image of God, being worthy of love, you may never provide them with the thing they need more than food, shelter, and clothing, and that is Jesus himself. Not only did Jesus see them, the text says that he had compassion for them. We can see this word, compassion, and miss the depth of the meaning. So we should go to the Greek to see what this word, compassion, really means. This word, compassion, or esplegestini, in Greek means to have a deep, visceral compassion or empathy. In other words, Jesus felt for the people on a heart-wrenching gut level. An example of destiny would be the type of feeling you have when you hear on the news that someone has done something horrible to an innocent child. It's the type of feeling you get when you watch someone's life be taken right in front of your eyes. In fact, we were watching the news Friday evening at the barbershop and a story came on about a three-year-old boy named Elijah Vu, who's been missing for two weeks. And, and the thought of that child being alone and suffering and, God forbid, dead, produced destiny in our hearts as we sat there. And this is what Jesus saw and felt when he saw lost people. Next, the text says they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What Jesus means by harassed here is not the same as what we might think about the word harassed. Keeping in line with his metaphor of the sheep and shepherds, Jesus was speaking to the fact that just as unprotected sheep experience harassment from wild animals and rough terrain, 
Lost men and women are seen as prey in the eyes of worldly predators seeking to take advantage of their misfortune. Simply stated, sheep without a shepherd are destined to become gyro meat. I'll wait till you catch that. <laughs> Listen to what King David says about his experience as a shepherd in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 34 and 35. It says, but David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Wow, the life of a shepherd is no joke. And the life of the sheep is no joke either. And this is what Jesus compares the life of a lost person to. This should give us pause. Because evangelism is really a rescue mission born out of a heart of compassion. We had the opportunity this past summer, last year, to go do an outreach with St. John's Ministries at St. John's Park. And by the grace of God, we were able to go out there and see the people. We, we saw more than just their physical needs. By the grace of God, we wanted to address their spiritual needs. And, and I remember uh, the week before we had the outreach, I went to the park to pray over the park and the people and pray with people if they wanted to pray. And as I sat there and I watched men and women hold lives sitting next to a fence, laying on the ground in the middle of the day, that produced esplegestity in my heart. And I wanted to do something about it. And that's what it should produce. When we see things like this, when we see the hurting people around us, it should not cause us to shrink back. It should cause us to step in. If you are listening to this and God is creating a longing in you to have eyes to see the unseen as he does, if, or if you're not experiencing that longing right now, Here's what I want you to do anyway. This week, I want you to pray every morning that Jesus would give you eyes to see people the way he sees people. This doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out prayer. You don't have to spend 30 minutes doing it. You can literally say these exact words if you want. God, give me eyes to see people the way you see people. Point number two, Jesus sees abundance where we see scarcity. Jesus sees abundance where we see scarcity. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. First of all, in case you didn't know, I'm far from a farmer. You've never seen me in a straw hat and overalls, and I don't know if you ever will. It's just the truth. But I do frequent the grocery store quite often to get fresh fruits and vegetables. And if there's one thing that I understand about fresh fruits and vegetables is that they have a short shelf life. If you don't store those vegetables and fruits properly, you're going to have fruit flies and all kinds of other stuff real quick. See, this is essentially what Jesus is communicating in this metaphor. 
He's impressing upon his old school disciples and his new school disciples. You like that? Uh, That the work of gathering souls into his kingdom is urgent or time sensitive. In other words, like my granny used to say to me when I was taking too long getting ready, boy, I ain't got all day. Jesus is like, look at this field of people. Can't you see these crops will die if no one goes out to gather them into my barns. Not only does Jesus say this is something that can't wait, he basically goes on to say that the fruit is so ripe and abundant that it's practically falling off the trees. My words, not his, but he said it's ripe and it's ready. That's why I said Jesus sees abundance where we see scarcity. If we're honest, I believe many times we see exactly the opposite of what Jesus sees here. Jesus looks out at lost and dying people entangled in all types of sin. And he sees hearts that are ready to receive his gospel. Jesus saw the mess in people's lives as an open door to gospel ministry. While too often we have a tendency to see these same people as opposition to gospel ministry, and sometimes they are, but yet and still, he calls us to love and pursue them anyway. Jesus sees the drug addict, the drug dealer, the murderer, the prostitute, the businessman that has no scruples or morals. He sees them all. And with outstretched hands, he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is the Savior that we serve. While Jesus is still sharing his heart with his disciples, he says, but the laborers are few. Do you know why the laborers are few? Because the Jewish leaders or religious leaders who God had originally called to be the ones to go rescue the lost sheep were the very ones that he had to continue rebuking all the time. Because they were harassing the sheep instead of freeing the sheep. Look at Matthew chapter 23, verse 2 through 4, and hear what Jesus says about those religious leaders. It says, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Do you know what I believe is the greatest example of what Jesus is speaking of in verse 37 here of chapter 9 of Matthew? Honestly, 9-11. I thought about 9-11, unfortunately. There, there has been no other major event in my lifetime that I've seen pull people from all stratus of life and put them all together in unity for, for something. You see, churches across the nation were packed for weeks after 9-11. Everybody rallied together. Didn't matter what color you were, didn't matter how much money you made, it didn't, nothing mattered. All that matters is you were American, right? As I thought about this, I asked myself, why? And this is what I discerned based on the text. This tragedy, the tragedy of 9-11 or any tragedy of that sort, is a catalyst 
for great unity because suffering is the soil that produces ripe fruit. Suffering is the soil that produces ripe fruit. In times of prosperity, it's man's natural tendency to start to believe that he needs God less. But oh, let a tragedy strike. And that same man or woman will have ears to hear on that day. That is what Jesus is saying to us. As we look at the people around us suffering, if we would only see people the way that Jesus sees people, we would see that the pain in their lives is an open door of opportunity for the gospel to enter in. See, we think the pain is supposed to put, no, but the pain comes and people do this instead of this most times. This is, in fact, my own testimony and countless other people. Until the consequences of my sin began to press in on me, I had no desire to know God. I was perfectly content living my life in the mess that it was in, trying in all futility to fix it myself. Until pain and suffering entered my life, and I had exhausted all of my chest moves, I threw up my harassed and helpless hands and said, this sheep is ready. Jesus, if you're real, show me who you are. And he did. He showed up immediately to rescue me. Of course, I still had to deal with the consequence of my sin, but praise God, it is well with my soul. In that moment, I moved from being a sheep without a shepherd to living under the love and authority of the one and only good shepherd. Here's how I want you to apply this. As best you can, block out the noise. As best you can, block out the noise. What do I mean? There's a scripture that says, No man that warreth entangleth himself in the affairs of this life, that he may please him who has called him to be a soldier. And brothers and sisters, he has called us to be soldiers. And so we can't have ourselves entangled with the affairs of this life. If, if you listen to the news and the media religiously, you would believe that every person that's out there is uh, maybe homosexual, half crazy, got an AK-47 on drug. Every, if you listen to what they try to indoctrinate you with through media, you will start to, that's the noise. If that's all you're listening to, of course you don't want to walk up to a guy that looks like me. Right? Because I'm dangerous according to the news. I'll just give you a hug. Honestly. Even when when I didn't know Christ, I would have loved for somebody to step into my little bubble and say, here's the truth of the gospel. I wouldn't have cursed them out. I don't think I would have ran them off. I know some people that would, but that wasn't my experience. I I hate to use myself again, but me being here right now in this church at this moment preaching this message is a miracle. And by all human standards, it's completely impossible. But we know that with God, all things are possible, right? If you would have saw me in my lost state, you probably would have saw me as someone that's hopeless and beyond God's reach, if you would have saw me at that time. You'd say, no, there's no way the gospel would penetrate that heart. 
<laughs> but here I stand. Here I am by the grace of God. This is our motivation. This is why we go. This is why we tell people about him. Our motivation is love by the power of the Holy Spirit. We feel the pull on the inside to tell someone about Jesus because we want them to experience the freedom that God's love brings. Point number three, Jesus prayed for the lost and so should you. Jesus prayed for the lost and so should you. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Finally, Jesus says, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I love this. I love this. As I read this, I thought to myself, this is not what I was expecting to Jesus to say at the end of his dissertation. This wasn't exactly what, if I was guessing what was coming next, I don't think that's what I would have guessed he would say next. Maybe, maybe it's just me, but I expected him to say something like, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, therefore get up and get to work. Right? The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now that you know that I'm talking to you, go do what you're supposed to do. Something. Other than what he says next. And the reason I kind of expected that and why you might expect that for Jesus to say something like that is because far too often, and maybe I've even been guilty of it, messages about evangelism have used guilt and shame as a motivation for missions. Guilt and shame is no motivation for this work. Only love. Only love's going to get you up to go out there and do this. Jesus didn't jump straight to now go and do because he understands that the task he was given, has given to us is impossible without his power. So he didn't just say, get up, go, and do the thing. We need power before we go. His primary focus instead was on who he needs us to be in order to fulfill the mission, more than just the work itself. You see, he wants to change us on the inside so that we are laborers and not just workers. See, workers show up at work and they do this. Laborers, they're everywhere. And time is a blur to them because they're working unto the Lord. That's what he wants us to be. Not people that are, hey, when is this over so I can get to the next day? No, he wants laborers. He needs us to be a people who pray earnestly, meaning this work will require more than our little foxhole prayers. The word pray used here really means to beg, if you look at the Greek. Have you prayed to God with this type of desperation? You know, the type of prayers where you're so overwhelmed with your need for him that you can't even produce words. Have you ever prayed like that? Jesus is saying, I want you to pray like that for the lost people that are around you. I want you to pray like that. He wants us to take comfort in the fact that he is the Lord of the harvest. And since he's the Lord of the harvest, the field is his. The fruit is his and the laborers are his because he's Lord. In other words, you don't have to stress out about whether or not people receive the message. 
Your responsibility is to be faithful to speak when God gives you an open door of opportunity. And guess what? If you pray for it, he'll give you the boldness to do it too. He'll give you the words to say. He will. Let's be honest. Think about this in in, in the context of what we're talking about. If you were drowning, uh, would would you rather have somebody who fumbles their way all the way through saving your life. I mean, they, they fall on the bank of the river and they skin their knee and they almost drown themselves, but they pulled you out. Would you want that person or would you want the person that's standing poised and looking pretty going, oh, that's unfortunate. I hope he makes it. I'll take the fumbler every day of the week. And that's all that God is saying. I can use your fumbles. I can use your weakness. You see, we, we always want to play to our strengths, right? But see, the problem with playing the strengths is that when you're strong in something, it's easy for pride to slip in and all kinds of other stuff in a strength. But in a weakness, you're completely dependent upon God. My brother or sister that can't speak well, and you're like, man, I'll fumble up. Fumble! It's okay. God can use it. He can use your wrong word in everything you said. He used a a, a prosperity preacher one morning in the middle of my sin to speak truth to me. He can use anything and anyone. How much more will he use someone with a heart that's aligned with his and just wants to love and serve people? Come on. He's for you. He's for you. Instead of providing an illustration, I want you to see that Jesus has given us all the power that we need to do this work. Jesus is telling us here in this verse to pray and to pray earnestly. And guess what? Jesus is on the right hand of the Father right now interceding for us in prayer. How about that? And this is an example in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17 of how Jesus is praying for us right now to be equipped to do this work. How much more power do we need? We've got Jesus. Verse 9 of John 17 says, I am praying for them. This is Jesus talking about the disciples then and the disciples now. He said, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours and all yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except for the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Mm. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus is praying this for us. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them 
into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, through our word. Hallelujah. That they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to, oh my goodness, the glory that you have given me, I have given them. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? That's power. That's power. That they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. We've got God's love inside of us through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are empowered to do this work. Isn't that a powerful thought? Oh, Christian, if you can see that Jesus and all of heaven are on your side. This is it. That's the mission. Go and proclaim his name with boldness because the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. See, this is, this is where boldness and evangelism comes from. If you know you have an army behind you, you don't have any problem saying something to someone, do you? If you knew you had a whole bunch of backup, if the whole church was behind you when you went out to witness, you wouldn't have a problem, would you? Oh, they all got my back. You've got heaven, Jesus, God. He's got your back front, side to side. Praise the Lord. Here's what I would like you to do by way of application. It's really short and simple. If you don't do it, I want to say right away that my intention is not to lay guilt upon you. You have to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I want you to simply pray what Jesus prayed in verse 38. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This call to prayer that Jesus gives here is dual purpose. He not only wants you to pray that God would send other people to do the work, but he wants you to pray and be willing to be a worker yourself. That's the heart of this verse, is as you pray for Jesus to send laborers, that you would also pray that your heart would be open to go out and be that laborer because he may be calling you. As we've journeyed through Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38, we've been reminded that Jesus' ministry was not just about miraculous healings or profound teachings. It was deeply rooted in compassion for the lost and the broken. Jesus saw the crowds. I mean, he really saw them. And recognized that their deepest need was him. Mm. He challenges us to look beyond the surface. To see the spiritual emptiness in people's lives. 
and to feel that same gut-wrenching compassion that moved him to action. This isn't just a historical account. It's a living invitation for us today. We are called to be laborers in a plentiful harvest, to step into the fields ready to bring souls into the kingdom. The mission is very big, but it's not something that we enter into on our own. As you heard, you've got all of heaven and its forces on your side. Jesus just doesn't, just doesn't throw us to the work unprepared. He invites us to begin with prayer, to earnestly seek the Lord of the harvest for guidance, provision, and the sending out of laborers. This prayer isn't a passive act, but a powerful step in aligning our hearts with God, making us ready to be a part of the answer. It's a prayer that transforms us, making us ready to step out in faith, to be the laborers we're praying for, equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So as we close today, let's take this message to heart. Let's be people who see like Jesus saw and loved as Jesus loved and moved as Jesus moved, compelled by compassion and driven by a divine mandate to bring in the harvest. And let it all begin with prayer. Let it all begin with prayer. And this is so beautiful as we think about this message, the opportunity that we're about to have in just a few moments to see seven people that were ripe fruit. Who praise the, praise the Lord. We get to see this in real life of people who were impacted by the message of Jesus Christ because someone, somewhere was faithful to be a laborer for Jesus Christ and reach that heart. So believer, I want to say to you today, go out and share Jesus with people just because you're overflowing with love for him. That's simply it. If I was just going to say one thing of this whole message, let your ministry to lost people be born out of a heart for love for them, to be able to see what's going on with them. Because when we see people, oftentimes we get caught up in just what we see on the surface and we're not thinking about the fact that they're in bondage. The Bible says that you're a slave to sin before you know Jesus. So those people that we're looking at and getting mad at them for their their mistakes and all of that, they don't even know why they keep doing that stuff. They're a slave to it. They wake up in the morning and their master, Satan, goes, this is what we're going to do today. And they go, yes, sir. Right? This is the truth. So thank you, Jesus. Believer, go out and spread the word with joy. No guilt whatsoever. Just because you love Jesus, he loves you, and you, you're just overflowing with him. But you're only going to overflow with him as you study his word, as you get into your Bible, as you meditate, as you pray, as you spend time with him. He's going to develop that heart and desire inside of you. You don't have to force this. To the unbeliever, you need a shepherd. You need the good shepherd. If you don't know Jesus today, You are lost and harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. And I want to tell you today that you don't have to be because the good shepherd is going to take care of you. If you receive Jesus, 
If you repent of your sins, if you open your heart and say, Jesus, I want you. I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins on the cross and that he rose and now sits at the right hand of the father. And I believe that he took the penalty for my sin upon that cross. And if I trust in him and believe and confess with my mouth, I shall be saved. So unbeliever, that's what I'm telling you to do. Get you a shepherd because the shepherd takes care of you. My shepherd takes care of me. He is a good shepherd. With that, I'm going to ask our choir to come, and we're going to do a song of invitation. And if anyone's been impacted by this message of the gospel, and you want to give your life to Jesus, today's the day. I'm going to be down here. We got others. We got pastor. We've got other brothers and sisters. We got brother Al. We've got so many of us around here that would love to speak to you about salvation, about living your life under the authority of the Good Shepherd. So as we sing, if you would like to come down to receive Jesus or to come down for prayer, I'll be standing here waiting for you.